Well, this morning, in just a little while, we'll be receiving the Lord's Supper together, time where we remember the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we may have the hope of eternal life, forgiveness of sins, and the presence of the Holy Spirit with us day by day, moment by moment. And, um, and that time for us is, a, uh, it is, it is not a, a way for us to, to uh, um, give a nod to, to a denomination or any sort of uh, thoughts that direction, but it is a way for us to gather together as believers around the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for us. So if you are a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, uh, we invite you to participate in that time. Whether, whether or not you would call this your church home, we invite you as a believer to join with us in proclaiming the death and resurrection of Jesus this morning as we come to our time of communion. We're going to open our scriptures this morning to Exodus chapter 21, verse 33. And uh, we're working our way here through uh, really chapters 21 through uh, 23 in Exodus that flesh out um, the Ten Commandments in the context of Israel that, that we, we really see the Lord here. Um, remember, they don't have, they don't have a, a governor, a president, a, a, a king who's giving um, or even enforcing laws. Um, their system of government is the Lord. Their God is the one who is leading them out of Egypt, out of slavery, into now becoming a people of their own, uh, a people who are operating in covenant with God, uh, trusting in Him, and being established now as, as a nation, uh, as a people, um, with, with a place eventually here to call home. And as that's happening, the Lord is the one who is now beginning to set up for them a, a governance. And so there are laws being given to them now that are they're, they're a fleshing out of the Ten Commandments in the context of Israel's uh, culture and life together. And, um, and so we're going we're gonna to look here at some laws that are given to them that have to do with their personal responsibility towards others and, and especially targeting in on, on others' possessions. And... Um, because at, at the root of this, all of this really are two commands being reflected. So if we take all these commands we're going to go through in Exodus 21 through 23, and we boil them, we, 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 we let them simmer on the stovetop for a while, they're going to boil down to the Ten Commandments. If we further uh, boil that down, we're going to arrive at two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so behind these, uh, at the root of all of these commands, sometimes they can be confusing to us because they're in a different historical and cultural context, but if we, if we really keep our eyes open, what we find are love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself in the midst of these commands. And so what is being fleshed out here today in our passage is certainly that focus on love your neighbor as yourself. Um, in uh, Romans chapter 13, 
um, verses 8 through 10, says this, oh, this was written to believers uh, in the context of the resurrected Christ. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So if if we, are, if we would point ourselves towards genuinely living a lifestyle of loving our neighbor, we're going to do good to them, not harm, right? If we look at first, uh, in fact, in, in Romans chapter 13 there, it says, owe no one anything except to love one another. And as we get into our, cha- our chapter here in Exodus, um, we're going to see this, you know, if you borrow someone's stuff and you break it, then you need to compensate them for it. If you stole something, then you need to compensate them for it, and, and even then some. And um, so we're going to see this reflected in the passage, and, and we, we have this heart underneath it that is, owe no one anything but to love one another. Love one another. That's what's being driven home here, but these laws are really important. Uh, because um, there are going to be some among Israel who are going to want to please the Lord, who are going to want to love the Lord their God with all their heart, heart mind, soul, and strength. And, and there are going to be some who, who want to love their neighbor as their self and are going to pursue that. But there are going to be others who really don't have an interest in either of those. And so these laws help to provide the boundaries to keep those who are not interested in that to operate in a lane that helps protect those uh, that they're not really considering or caring for or regarding. Um, that's, that's a lot of what law does for us, um, even in our own nation. It is to help provide a boundary and a protection from those who really would not consider others and regard others' lives um, or well-being. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 15 says, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. So we have this this heart that flows all through Scripture, and that is this. Do good to each other. Be fair. Be just. Uh, Don't take advantage of others. Don't abuse the trust of others. Don't neglect your responsibilities towards others. And so when we, uh, we see Cain and Abel and at the very beginning of, of the Scriptures, um, two brothers that, that find that a whole planet is not enough space for them. Um, and, and Cain murders Abel. God, God says, hey, what's going on here? Where's, where's your brother? And Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? Well, the answer is yes. You are your brother's keeper. We, as followers of God, are our brother's keeper to look out for one another in whatever measure God has given us to do so. The love of Christ seeks the good of others and others' well-being. Selfishness 
disregards others in exchange for self-gratification, self-fulfillment. Let's read our passage this morning, Exodus 21, starting in verse 33. And actually, I'm going to to switch things up a little bit this morning. I'm going to actually read from the New Living Translation. And the reason I'm going to do so this morning is because I think the New Living Translation, I I, I really like it. I think it's a a very good translation. Uh, And the one thing I like about it today is as we get into the nuance of these of these laws that are given in a historical and, con- and uh, cultural context, I think the New Living Translation does a really good job of helping us to understand it from where we're at. Um, where I think the ESV, maybe the, the water might be a little murkier with some of the language. So I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. I hope that it's helpful as we uh, dive into this this morning. So Exodus 21, verse 33. Suppose someone digs or uncovers a pit and fails to cover it, and then an ox or a donkey falls into it. The owner of the pit must pay full compensation to the owner of the animal, but then he gets to keep the dead animal. So so what we have here is we have a person who essentially has been negligent. They've, they've dug a pit, they were opened a pit in a place that puts others at risk, and they've not done a, their due diligence to make sure that no one or no thing falls into it. So it's not just an accident, it's, it's negligence that has led to an accident. And so there, is, uh, there here is being laid out that um, if that were to happen, that whoever's animals fallen into this pit... Uh, they're going to be fully compensated for that. Um, now, this is there. There are kind of different levels here uh, in the way that um, this idea of compensation or restitution is being dealt with, and and they vary um, really in degrees of of either um, in, in it varies in degrees of uh, related to the disregard to others. So. When we, when we find in here that there's just purely an accident that happens, we're going to find that, that there's a pretty basic level of compensation. Um, when it's an accident, nobody intended anything, nobody was being negligent, it just happens. Uh, there's still compensation, um, but, but there's a sort of a baseline there. When someone's negligent, it's, it's a little bit greater level of disregard for others. And so there's a higher level of compensation, a higher level of of accountability. And then when we get into stealing, we're going to find that there's an even uh, an elevated level of accountability to that because we have a more malicious kind of intent behind it, a higher disregard for others. And so we're going to find that that um, the ways that these things are dealt with are going to be really kind of in measure to of the type of, of perspective one has for, for fellow human beings or regard or lack thereof, actually. Going on here, verse 35, if someone's ox injures... Uh, now, I wanted you to also think about, I, I'm really doubtful that the whole idea of oxen and donkeys is really going to be real directly applicable to uh, where you're living right now. Um, but there, as you think about how these kinds of relationships function one to another, 
um, you're probably not opening up a pit and your neighbor's ox has fallen into it. But maybe you have a tree that's dying that's overhanging your neighbor's house and you haven't done anything about it. You see, there, there is a, we, we, can still, we still have responsibility for our neighbor to look out for them. And so where there are places that, that we can do something to help protect others, then we are obligated to do so. Um, so as we continue on here, verse 35, if someone's ox injures a neighbor's ox and the injured ox dies, then the two owners must sell the live ox and divide the price equally between them. So here we have a case where it seems to be uh, kind of an accidental thing. Two guys, uh, two guys have their oxen near each other and one just doesn't like the other and one ends up dead. And, um, and so there's a, what happens is the live one gets sold, they split the money, the dead one gets, gets uh, divided so that they both have meat and, and then they go on with life. But, as we continue on here, um, but if the ox had a reputation for goring, yet its owner's fa- owner failed to keep it under control, he must pay full compensation. And a live ox for the dead one, but he may keep the dead ox. So we see here there is a higher level of accountability and compensation required for the one who has shown negligence in the death or the injuring of someone else's property. All right, so um, let's continue on. Chapter 22, verse 1. If someone steals an ox or sheep and then kills or sells it, or if you, someone steals a bike and then hawks it on Craigslist, um, they, they must pay back five oxen for each ox stolen. So now we're getting into new territory, aren't we, of compensation. Um, and four sheep for each sheep stolen. So now we have someone who has maliciously taken something of someone else, and now it's not just going to be ox for ox. It's not going to be bike for bike. It's going to be a higher level of compensation now given because of the type of act uh, um, that was committed here. If a thief is caught in the act of breaking into a house and is struck and killed in the process, the person who killed the thief is not guilty of murder. But if it happens in daylight, the one who killed the thief is guilty of murder. So um, what's going on here is we have uh, if middle of the night, someone breaks in, uh, and, and then that person who's broken in to steal something, the homeowner ends up killing that person, um, th- they're not going to be held liable for the death of that individual. But if it happens during the daylight where that person can be identified, and uh, then instead of killing that person, the, ho- the owner is to allow justice to occur in that person being punished and not to take their life. So there is even in the midst of all of this, in the wrongdoing, we see that God seeks to preserve life uh, as much as possible here. That, that, that this is a wrong act. We would all agree with that. It is completely wrong. But, but we're looking at keeping things in measure. They're stealing your stuff. Stuff can be replaced. Human life cannot. 
And so here, even in the midst of this, we see God laying out some boundaries that, that there's to be restraint in regards to the taking of other, another's life. But certainly, compensation to be given, restitution to be paid. A thief who is caught must pay in full for everything he stole. If he cannot pay, he must be sold as a slave, and we kind of covered that uh, last week, to pay for his theft. If someone steals an ox or a donkey or a sheep and it is found in the thief's possession, then the thief must pay double the value of the stolen animal. If an animal is grazing in a field or vineyard and, it, and the owner lets it stray into someone else's field to graze, then the animal's owner must pay compensation from the best of his own grain or grapes. In other words, uh, we need to be responsible individuals one to another. And, and uh, we, we really kind of need to think of, um, well, love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Would you, would you be okay with, with your neighbor just having no regard for your stuff and allowing, I don't know, their animals or whatever the case may be, to destroy part of your property just because, I don't know, it's not a concern to them. No, you wouldn't. And so likewise, we ought to be diligent to do what we can to make sure we don't put others in that position, right? That we are personally responsible towards others. If you are burning thorn bushes and the fire gets out of control and spreads into another person's field, now this one starts to hit closer to home for us, doesn't it? Destroying the sheaves or the uncut grain or the whole crop, the one who started the fire must pay for the lost crop. Suppose someone leaves money or goods with a neighbor for safekeeping and they are stolen from the neighbor's house. If the thief is caught, the compensation is double the value of what was stolen. Um, So we have here a situation where somebody's entrusted something to you, it's been stolen from you, the thief's been caught, and the thief pays. But if the thief is not caught, the neighbor must appear before God who will determine if he stole the property. So, so now there's going to be a looking into, an inquiring of, I entrusted this with you. It disappeared while in your possession. There's no thief who can be pointed at to say he did it. Where did it go? Um, did, are you trying to pull a fast one on me here? And so that's going to be looked into. Verse 9, suppose there's a, a dispute between two people who both claim to own a particular ox, donkey, sheep, article of clothing, or any lost property. So let's say now, your neighbor comes over to you. He says, hey, watch this for me. I'm going to be out of town. Watch this for me. Yeah, your neighbor comes back, wants it back, and now you're disputing that, no, this thing actually belongs to me. So we're gonna, now we have a dispute here, and uh, it says both parties must come before God, and the person whom God declares guilty must pay double compensation to the other. Now suppose someone leaves a donkey, ox, sheep, or any other animal with a neighbor for safekeeping, and it dies, or is injured, or is taken away, and no one sees what happened. The neighbor must then take an oath in the presence of the Lord. In other words, uh, did you cause this? 
Um, is there something you did while it was in your care that caused this to happen? Um, and if they say no here, that's the, so the, the neighbor must then take an oath in the presence of the Lord. If the Lord confirms that the neighbor did not steal the property, the owner must accept the verdict and no payment will be required. So if nothing, if nothing can be, if, if no uh, evidence is really there to support the idea that your neighbor has wronged you um, in the loss of this property, then, then he's not going to be punished for that. Um, so there's protection for both parties here. That, the person who entrusted something to another and the one who it was entrusted to. Verse 12, but if the animal was indeed stolen, the guilty person must pay compensation to the owner. If it was torn to pieces by a wild animal, the remains of the carcass must be shown as evidence and no compensation will be required. In other words, there's an act of God clause here. Um, if Verse 14, if someone borrows an animal from a neighbor and it is injured or dies when the owner is absent, the person who borrowed it must pay full compensation. So you, you, uh, I lend you my wood splitter and uh, the wood splitter ends up uh, endowing down the road and in a twisted pile of metal on the side of the road, you owe me a wood splitter, right? Um, now, if we, if, now if I'm going with you here, it says, but if the owner was present, no compensation is required. And no compensation is required if the animal was rented for the losses covered by the rental fee. So, so if I'm along with you and we're dragging my wood splitter down the highway and then it goes indo and ends up in a twisted pile of metal, I'm buying myself a wood splitter. And you might, out of the kindness of your heart, help me out with that, but it's on me is what this is saying. Um, and, 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 if I, and if you gave me uh, 100 bucks to rent my wood splitter... Again, I'm on my own. You, you gave me what was the price of the rent, and I'm going to have to figure it out. So what we see here laid out in Scripture, although it doesn't necessarily translate word for word into our context, we do see that there's a principle being laid out of doing good one to another, being just, being fair, being personally responsible, and being uh, really our brother's keeper, where we're looking out for the well-being of those around us. And um, those around us ought to be looking out for our well-being as well. But the part we're responsible for is us being personally responsible. Uh, the part that we can actually do something about. Now, this for me raises the question of which one of us can, um, can say that we have always dealt fairly with others. That we have always repaid others appropriately, appropriately, appropriately compensated them or whatever anytime we have damaged or lost or, or stolen something that belongs to someone else. Who among us can say that I have always lived this out? I have always acted honorably, respect, respectfully, responsibly towards others. Well, first John um, says uh, nobody. Um, Romans says nobody. That none of us can come before God or one another and say, you know what? I am 
faultless, guiltless as it relates to personal responsibility towards others. I have always acted in the best interest of, of others. I have always loved them with the love of God. Um, in fact, 1 John chapter 1, verse 10 says that if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. If we claim that we have operated free from sin, free from the guilt of sin towards one another, and 1 John is really all about loving one another. So it's in the context of that relationship one to another and loving one another as evidence that we belong to God. John says, the Apostle John says, any of us who claims to be without sin, not only are you lying to yourself and others, you are accusing God of being a liar. Because God says you're a sinner in need of grace and forgiveness. Back to Romans chapter 3, verse 23, says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So as we think about, I mean, every one of us, as we're going through this passage in Exodus, we're all kind of cheering it on because we recognize, yeah, I, I, want, I want people to act responsibly. I don't want people to take advantage of me. I don't want people stealing my stuff. I don't want people borrowing my tools and then destroying them and then not acting like they care about it. I want people to be personally responsible towards me. And we recognize that it's right for us to be personally responsible towards others. But when we get down to the nitty-gritty, we start to realize, I haven't always done that. I'm really guilty on this at at many points through my life of operating in a way where I have not loved my neighbor as myself where I have not respected and honored my neighbor so where does that put me it puts me in a place of guilt and ultimately it puts me in a place of guilt not only before my neighbor but before my God And where does that leave us? Well, in this idea of restitution, um, it puts me in a bad place, is what it does. Because it puts me in a place where I am at debt, in debt to my Creator. But not in a way where I can work it off or pay it off. I'm in debt in a way where His judgment is going to fall on me. In fact, Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says the wages of sin is death. That is, your just compensation for your wrongs done towards God and towards others is death. God's judgment, God's wrath. This is our right payment. We scream justice, this is justice. We say, God, bring justice. We, we don't know what we're asking for. Justice is that we are punished by our Creator for our sin against Him. That's justice. That we suffer His wrath. But this is why it is so important for us to make sure that we read the whole passage. Because Romans 6.23 doesn't just say that the wages of sin is death. It goes on to say the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
We rightly deserve God's wrath. We rightly deserve His judgment. That's what is just. God offers us a free gift of forgiveness and eternal life through His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, God doesn't do away with justice. God satisfies His justice on the cross through His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ took our sin upon Himself and suffered the wrath of God against our sin so that we might justly be brought before God as forgiven and pure and righteous and clean in Christ. So we deserve death. We deserve wrath. We deserve judgment. We deserve hell. God offers us the gift of life. God offers us forgiveness of sin. God offers us the presence of the Holy Spirit to walk with us through this life, to empower us to honor and glorify Him. Our sinfulness is the necessary backdrop to understand the good news of Christ. And until we begin to grasp that I'm guilty, I am guilty before God and there is no way I can escape or fix this situation. I am going to suffer God's judgment. Until we begin to understand that and grasp that, we're not going to be able to make sense of why Christ went to the cross. Christ being on the cross finds its purpose in us being sinners before a God who loves us and who is now redeeming us, buying us back through Christ's death on the cross. That's why communion is such an important thing for us because we recognize that unless Christ gave His life for us, we are hopeless for eternity. What I shared before at the beginning of the service about us having a hope beyond this life, that suffering only happens this side of heaven, suffering happens forever if we're without Christ. Lostness, despair, hopelessness, uh, guilt, shame, all of that for eternity apart from Christ. And so we rejoice that we have a Savior who is willing to go to the cross for us and has made Himself available to everyone who calls on His name. That all who call on Him would be saved. As this message was shared with, with uh, thousands of people, not long after the resurrection, crucifixion and resurrection of Christ, there were some, some people who heard this message from the apostles and they said, what do we do? What do we do about what you're telling us? That we're guilty before God in our sin. That Christ has come for us to save us. What do we do with that? Acts chapter 2, verse 38 is the answer. Peter says to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter says, here's what you do. 
the moment you recognize you are a sinner standing in the path of God's judgment and that you recognize that God has given his son for you, that you would have forgiveness and life through him, here's what you do. You believe in him. You take hold of Christ. And you believe in this sacrifice of Christ. And you repent. You turn away from living life your way, doing it your way, figuring it out on your own, trying to earn your way to heaven. That you give up on that. And you turn away from it. And you recognize that God has called you to something far greater in Christ. And you be baptized. You commit yourself now as one who belongs to God. One who was bought with a price who now belongs to God Himself. And then you walk with Jesus. You walk in the power of the Spirit that He gives you as a follower of His. His presence with you always to help you navigate the difficulties of earth and also to help you keep before you the, the joy of your salvation, the hope of eternal life, the promise of forgiveness of sins, the freedom from guilt and shame, and to empower you to now no longer operate in a world that is about satisfying your selfish desires, but is about living out, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and being empowered to do that, being empowered and equipped to be able to love your neighbor as God loves them with his love. If you have not made that decision, today is the day for you to do so. God is appealing to you right now. And he's reminding you once again that your sin is, is, is going to keep you from entering into eternal life with him. Your sin is going to keep you from entering into heaven. There is not enough things that you can do to compensate for your sin debt against God. But God has taken care of that on the cross if you will receive that gift by asking Him to forgive you, by asking Him to be your Savior and your Lord, and by submitting your life to Him now. And this is... There are no special words um, for obtaining this salvation. It is having a heart that is humbled before God and recognizing your need for a Savior. And asking the Lord to be your Savior, to forgive you of your sins, and to help you walk in His ways. I'm going to pray for us, and as I do so, um, if you would like the Lord to forgive you of your sins today, if you would like to obtain the promise of eternal life, if you would like to change the course of your life from being about following in your ways, figuring it out on your own, doing the best that you can, to operating in the power of God for the glory of God and having an assurance that my Lord gave himself for me on the cross, my sin taken care of there then I would ask you to make that known to the Lord today and become a follower of Christ. Believe in Him. Repent 
from your sin. Turn away from it and confess it to Him. Be baptized as a follower of Christ. Commit your ways to Him and identify yourself as belonging to Him now and not to yourself or any other. And then begin to learn how to walk in His ways. Lord, as we come to You today, we give we give you all the glory and all the praise for what the cross represents. It is a constant reminder to us, Lord, that while we are far from the kingdom of God, you came from heaven to earth to save us. Just as you went to Egypt to save the Israelites out of slavery, you came to earth, the word became flesh and dwelt among us so that we may have eternal life. There was no path to you and you made a way for us to be saved through your own son. Lord, we are just beginning to understand the beauty and the mystery and the, and the overwhelming nature of of a Father who loves us so much that He would give His Son for us. Lord, I pray for those who today would commit themselves to You, who would invite You to be their Lord and their Savior, to forgive them of their sin, to help them walk in the newness of life that only You can give, to, to begin to walk in the hope of everlasting life and forgiveness of sin. Lord, I ask that you would help them to take that step of faith today and to begin, uh, that you would empower them to protect them from the enemy and to help them now walk in your ways. To honor you with the rest of their days. Lord, it's with gratitude that we, we come together around your word and around the cross, recognizing that we're undeserving but you have loved us so deeply and we treasure the gift that you have given us in Christ and we thank you for the hope that you've given us and we thank you for your spirit who resides with us, who teaches us, who, who corrects us, who reminds us of what is true and right and just and good, who, who empowers us to love our neighbor as ourself something we can never do out of our own selfishness, who, who helps us to love you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Lord, let us live this out and walk in step with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord's Supper, to partake of the, the bread and the juice together to remind us of the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ as he gave himself for us. Um, I wanted to remind you that there are some plates set aside with some individually packaged um, uh, pieces there that uh, those are gluten-free. So um, for those of you who, uh, who need that, that option is available. Would we come together to give thanks to our Lord Jesus, to, be re to remember His sacrifice for us, 
And uh, let us be grateful as we come together around this table. I would ask you to make your way to, there's a, a station back there, one back here and one right here, that uh, as you're ready, make your way forward to take the elements back to your seat and then we'll receive them all together. So, Lord, we, we come to your table and we, we ask that you would be glorified as we come, that, that, Lord, you would find our hearts thankful, deeply thankful for what you have done for us. Lord, we, we thank you for the gift of life that, comes at, that came at the cost of your son Jesus, but we also thank you that the grave could not contain him and that we serve a risen Savior. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.
For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Behold, the blood of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Would you please stand with me as we join together in the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I believe we're going to be singing page 257. 